E.T. Okay, so we've got an educated audience here. I meant in, in terms of E.T. I know you're educated. But E.T. is a phenomenal movie. Of course, the story is of E.T., an extraterrestrial. That means he's of another world. And he ends up on Earth, actually, you know, here in Southern California. And he's trying to get back home. And so he has adventures here, but his goal is to get back home. But the first thing he's got to do, he's got to connect with home and let them know where he's at. So he's got to build a phone. And so, you know, the adventures continue. He builds a phone, and then he makes contact. And then it's pretty cool because down in Porter Ranch, uh, right above the 118 freeway off of Reseda, is the bike chase, and then he flies in the air, and that happened right there in Porter Ranch. You know, you can go to E.T. Park and see it. And then he makes connection, and he gets to go home. You know, and it's just one of those stories that, that you struggle with E.T., and maybe, you know, you even shed a tear. But then when they come to get him, and there's that moment, and you're just like, yes, you know, and you're so excited for E.T. to be able to go home. Now, I want you to imagine what the story would be like if E.T. ended up on planet Earth and he goes, wow, this is way better than where I came from. I'm staying. I'm not building the phone. I'm just going to, you know, eat Reese's Pieces and, you know, play with the little girl and uh, just have a good time. And, you know, and then that's the end of it. You'd go, well, that, that wouldn't really be... All that inspiring of a movie. You'd go, well, I don't think that would have done so well at the box office. It would have been funny, but it wouldn't have been inspiring. Because what was inspiring about it was the connection. And what was the connection? I got to get home. You know, E.T., phone home. And you read the Bible... On a regular basis, you read different parts of it, and you go, yeah, I get it in this way. And then you go through things in life, and you read the same passage you read 50 times, and all of a sudden you connect with it in a different way. And I think today is going to be one of those times. And we're over in Philippians chapter 3, and just to kind of set up what's going on here, the church in Philippi had two kinds of Christians, ones that had come from a Jewish background, and ones that came from a Gentile background. So the Jewish covenant that God gave to uh, Moses, to Abraham, was that the Jewish men would be circumcised on the eighth day. So that was a covenant thing. It was something that, that they were hard line about, that if you were going to be part of God's people, you had to be circumcised. So the Jews that came from that background, that was... I mean, from eight days old, they were connected that this is a requirement if you want to be connected with God. And it would give them confidence. It would give them courage. It would give them stability knowing, hey, I've done what God told me to do. Well, then they become Christians, but the Gentile believers didn't share that. So you've got arguments going on. And you've got this pride of, yeah, but I, have, I come from this background and you don't. And so there's, there's issues. 
You know, in our society right now, there's issues. And Paul says in verse 3, and following, he says, For it is we who are of the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that is from God and is in by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And so Paul is talking about issues that are going on in the church. And what happens is you've got people retreating to their confidence points. Because certain parts are shaken. And so they're going back and they're they're going, yeah, but look at my heritage. Oh, yeah, I'm circumcised. See, here's my credentials. Here's where I find my security. And Paul says, listen, we're not to put our confidence in the flesh. Now, let me just substitute a few words here. Instead of flesh, let's talk about the culture that we live in. Let's talk about our political views. Let's talk about the economy. Let's talk about the state of the nation. You know, because there's a lot of turmoil going on. There's a lot of very strong feelings. And it's very unsettling if you just look at society as it is today. You know what I think our greatest challenge is? Is that this is the first time for many of us that we've lived in a society that is so unsettling. If that's where we draw our confidence from, We're in trouble. You know, I've been to nations and I've spent time with people where they don't have any confidence in their political system because it's completely corrupt. Law enforcement goes to the highest bidder. You can't trust a single thing you read in a newspaper or is on TV because it's all government control. They take their life in their hands just to go to work. Transportation's unreliable. Just even having lights on in the home, unreliable. They say, wow, that's bad. Well, sort of. 
Because you know what? It's actually easier for them from a faith point of view because they don't have any competing things to put confidence in. But that's not our situation. It's certainly not my life. I've grown up in a stable culture, pretty much stable economy. You can count on law enforcement. You can count on our country. And you take great pride and security from that. But if that's taken away, what does your world look like? And see, you can put yourself right into what Paul is saying to this church. Because he was speaking to them about circumcision. And whether you need to, whether you don't need to, and the issues that are going on. But you know what? He's speaking to you and he's speaking to me about what's going on in the inside for us. And when Paul says, listen, we're not supposed to have confidence in the flesh. You can substitute maybe whatever it is that's been shaken in your life. And Paul's speaking to you. He said, I consider it all a loss to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. He says, that's what we focus on. You know, and you think about E.T. He was living in a foreign world. There are a lot of cool things. He had opportunity, but what was he doing? He was trying to build a phone. Because he's like, I'm not from here. He goes, I'm from there. And I have to phone home. And Paul continues on. And by the way, point number one is press on to the goal. E.T. wanted to build a phone. We have a different goal. Say, what did Paul say the goal was? Know Christ and Him crucified. He goes, that's our goal. That's what we wake up and go, that's what I want to accomplish. That's where I'm going to find my security. And he says in verse 12, not that I've obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is their destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. And Paul's addressing their hearts. And he says, you got a choice. 
you can draw your focus and your confidence from earthly things. Or you can put your focus on a risen Savior who has the power. And he can bring everything under his control. And he says, this is how you stand firm. What goal are you pressing on toward right now? What is most important to you? What are you passionate about? You know, Paul said, hey, if if we want to have credential arguments, he goes, I'm really awesome. He's like, don't go there with me. I've got more. But he said, all that I consider rubbish. You know, what's interesting is when you consider them rubbish, that's different than somebody else calling something that you prize rubbish. You ever had something that was really valuable to you and somebody else looked at it and was like, huh. how much did you pay for that? And then you tell them and they're like, why? Like that does not give you the warm fuzzies. You do not go, I'm so fired up that they think this thing that I love is silly. But you know, when you consider it rubbish, and the exact translation is dung, Rubbish is kind of the political correct way. You're like, okay, I can move on. You see, you know, I, I know in a group this size that feelings are very strong about various events. And, you know, as Paul addresses the heart and he says, here's the goal. Christ and him crucified. I consider these earthly things rubbish. You might have a problem with that. In fact, you might be offended. Not if you can get to the point where you go, the real focus of the Christian is not on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's what we got to be passionate about. It doesn't mean these things are unimportant, but it means that can't be our goal. Paul says, man, i, I got to forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead. As Christians, we live differently. We think differently. we got a whole different value system. But like E.T., we're trying to get home. But where's your citizenship? Where's your value? What are you passionate about? Paul says, press on to the goal. What's the goal? That's the prize heavenward. That's a risen Savior. That's a Lord that will bring all things under his control. So he says, okay, so we got, we got to focus on the right goal. Well, it's attached to our citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. All right? So that's where he's sending us. He goes, now that's how you stand firm right there. Then, it's, it's actually kind of interesting here. You know, and you get... You get Chapter breaks, you get verse numbers, and sometimes those things can do a great disservice to us as readers of God's Word. Because they were only at, they, they weren't in the original Bible, they were added as reference points so that we could find our, our place and all that. But when there's a paragraph break and there's different numbers and stuff, we tend to kind of read it as like this whole different section. 
of Bible. But so right as Paul's ministering to them and calling their mind and their heart heavenward, then he says, okay, I plead with Yodia and Sintish to agree with each other in the Lord. Now, I got a question. How do you think those two ladies felt when this letter was getting read to their church? Paul named them. And what, what do you say? Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are written in the book of life. You know what he says? Man, we got a couple people arguing, and they're good women, and they help me. And, and we work together for Jesus. So, you know, some of you need to get in there and you need to help them. Help them do what? Get along. You go, well, why were they not getting along? Well, you know, things like that happen when you get focused on earthly things. You know, when you've got somebody who's circumcised and somebody who's uncircumcised, you know, an adult who's uncircumcised isn't all that fired up about the notion that if you're not circumcised, you have no part with God. You know, so that's going to be a rift. You've got issues. And Paul names these two women. And he says, get along. You know what? When when we stop focusing up here and we start focusing down here, we can get upset with one another. What are we doing? We're pressing on to the goal. He goes on. And right after this, in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, we tend to take that passage and we lift it out of the context and we go, Okay, I'm going through a real rough patch right now, so I'm just going to take this out and apply it. You know, my, my, my kids made a silly decision, so I'm going to go use this. You know, that's a good application. But the reason it was written to the church in Philippi was because of the issues that were going on in the church, in the earthly things, and they weren't focused thinking up here. And he says, all right, rejoice in the Lord. That means your focus is on Him. That's where we're, we're going. That's our home. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, this is a question each one of us can answer. But when we feel highly offended, is that your times of greatest gentleness? Think of what you're most opinionated about. And then go, are you gentle then? And then you go, wow, I guess I see why he's saying, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. 
you ever been in a situation where, where, where you were just, you know, in old school language, having a conniption fit? New school, freaking out. And somebody more knowledgeable, more aware, more in control, you're just like, ah. And they go, everything's going to be okay. They're going like, oh, okay. You know, that's kind of what Paul's saying right there. The areas where we're struggling to be gentle, where we're tempted to be anxious, he's like, the Lord is near. It's like, I'm still in control. He's right here. He's not a God who's far off. He's a God right here and involved in your life. Then, then verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Now, this will be a deep Bible study. But do you know why they translated the word anything there? Is because in the Greek it says anything. So, what's included in anything? See, you're becoming biblical scholars. You got this down. Okay? You see how you work through a passage? So, what are you anxious about right now? Now, I know we're sophisticated. So we don't call it worry, and we don't call it anxieties. We call it concerns. Are we obeying the Scripture? What is the condition of our heart? Does that mean these things are not big issues? Not at all. To a Jew, you would not have found a bigger issue than circumcision. But Paul's saying, hey, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. These are unsettling times that we live in. But the fact of the matter is, they should have always been unsettling. Sometimes things happen that expose where we're at. And we go, did it create the issue? Nope, it just revealed where we were at. You know, sometimes you just, you, you're living life and you think you're in a good place. You think you're connected with God. And all of a sudden, you find yourself going, what? You're like, did this situation create it? Nope. It just revealed what was already present. And Paul told the church, let your gentleness be evident to all. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer, in petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Prayer, when we speak to God, petition is when we are making passionate requests. It says, hey, pray your heart out to God. It says, with thanksgiving. And I love this because it says, in the peace of God. Not the peace of us, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. There's no logic to it at all. You're never going to figure it out. You're not going to study it enough that you understand why. When we pray, when we petition, when we thank God about everything, the peace of God, 
will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And, and that guard your hearts and minds, that, that term is like a sentry. You know, a, a soldier that is standing there, there at attention, fully armed. So that anything comes along, it goes and just bashes it in the face. You know, that's kind of cool. Not so much the bashing in the face, but the guarding. But so you're praying to God, and then God sends his peace to your heart and your mind. And so all of a sudden, something happens. And then Satan comes with a little fiery darts, or an email comes, or the TV, or the newspaper. And that sentry's, you know... God, I don't know what kind of weapon. And it's like, bam, bam, bam. Why? Because it's protecting the peace. Now, what happens if we stop praying and petitioning and thanking? Well, no peace of God. No one guarding your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, I know what I like. There's not any of us that go, you know what, I hope... I have a completely stress-filled, anxious, disturbing day. Please, God. Anyone pray that prayer? If you do, see me afterwards. No, you know what we want? We want our hearts and minds guarded in Christ Jesus. We want that peace that passes understanding. Because there's issues of real life. There's real big deals going on right now. But for the Christian, we can let go of our focus up here. And we can put it down here. See, we've got to press on to the goal. But then number two, we've got to phone home. How do you phone home? Prayer, petition, thanksgiving. You know what? You have to realize where your home is or you're not going to pray and petition and thank the right place. You ever called the wrong number? You ever sent a text to the wrong person? I got one once. I won't name names. It's early in the morning. And it said, Wow, baby, you looked awesome this morning. I can't wait to see you tonight. And it was one of my brothers in Christ. So I'm like, very interesting. So I, I replied. I said, this is Ron, your minister. Are you sure this is what you want to tell me? <laughs> like 30 minutes later, I got, ha, 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 My wife's uh, text was right next to yours. Big thumbs. I'm like, okay. Love you. You know what Satan wants? He wants our, our prayers, petitions, thanksgiving. He doesn't want it going out there. He wants all our issues pointed down here. You ever done that? You tell everyone but God how you're feeling. Did, did you feel more peace from it? The Bible says, hey, direct it toward God about everything. And anything. And it says, here's what will happen. It's amazing. 
Then he continues on. Now, this is just a good practical. This, this is a good one for me. I'm, I'm glad this is in there. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, that's a powerful practical right there, because I am more naturally a negative thinker. I do believe God's going to do great things. But you give me a situation, my, my first natural thought are what are the potential problems here? What's going to go wrong? You know, what do we need to fix? You know, I am much more the kind of person that, you know, if Cheryl makes a great meal, I might think this is a great meal. But I verbalize, ah, the beans are kind of bland. They need salt. So if you're married, don't do that. Verbalize the good stuff. Just silently get the salt. Okay, But I don't know how you're wired. Maybe you're just a naturally positive person and that's always what you think. I, I'm not wired that way. My natural drift is negativity. Negativity, problems. You know, I actually think our society is more wired that way. You have somebody write down their, their ten greatest weaknesses. It takes them like ten seconds. This, 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 this. And then you go, what's your ten greatest uh, strengths. Uh, I don't know. I have a hard time coming up with one. We're, we're negative thinkers. And so you never change your focus being on God by just sitting around trying to not be negative. That's like trying to not think about a pink elephant. See, some of you, I know you laughed. You just thought about the pink elephant and I told you not to. But that's how some, some of us go, okay, I'm going to be different. I'm going to not, not think negative, not think negative. And you know what you end up doing? You're thinking more and more negative. You're more obsessed with negativity in the name of trying to not think about it. That's not what the Bible tells us to do. This is focus on the good. Think about such things. You go, well, I can't help myself. Oh, so God just commanded you to do the impossible. We didn't say it was easy, but it is possible. But Satan has convinced some of us that our thought life, we have no choice. And God says, no, you absolutely have a choice of what you are choosing to think about. He says, well, what what kind of a list? Well, here's quite a list. Whatever's true. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. He says, purposely think about the positive. The best example I heard on this is if you're planting a garden, removing all the weeds still leaves you with a patch of dirt. If you want a flower garden, you've got to plant flowers in it. You know, getting the weeds out is good. But if it's going to be a flower garden, there's got to be flowers in it. The, the positive things, hey, we're, we're planting the good. We're focused on the good. So let's think about such things. And then in verse 9, he says, Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I love when he says that. 
that kind of covers everything. And he says, put it into practice. He says, okay, I wrote you this letter, church. Now, you got a choice. You can either do it or you cannot do it. Now, if you want the God of peace to be with you, you need to put it into practice. Sermons are not meant to be theoretical. The Word of God is to change our life. So how will you live differently? What will you choose to think about? What will be your focal point? You say, well, this is so hard. Well, maybe you need to start back at the heart and go, what do you value most? Knowing Jesus and Him crucified? Or earthly things that Paul says, hey, all these things, you know, whatever, consider them a loss. I count them as rubbish. Because I, I used to take great pride in them. They made me who I am. They were my foundation. They were, they were the things that gave me confidence. But now I see differently. I'm not looking there for my confidence. He says, I'm looking to a risen Savior. What choice will you make? How will you live differently? You know, E.T. got home. We're going to go home. And I'm not talking about our physical home. I'm talking about our home in heaven. We're going to go. And it's going to be amazing. And I think the very first millisecond that we are in heaven, we're going to go, oh, wow. I can't believe I was even struggling. This is so incredible. This is amazing. I wish I was here earlier. I should have been focused on this more. This is amazing. And yet our minds and our hearts have to be directed heavenward. We've got to press on to the goal, and we need to phone home. The issues of life are there. They're real, and they're big. The Christian is not supposed to find their confidence in those things. Let's find confidence where it's supposed to be. In our risen Savior. Let's enjoy our holidays. Have great time with our families. Let's stand as we close with one final song. I wanted.